The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Ticking Stock with Kelly McMillan. If the name sounds like a business show to you, then you've got it all wrong. Kelly McMillan is the principal of McMillan Fiberglass Stocks and will talk about shooting for fun, competition, hunting, and self-defense. Now, here is your host, Kelly McMillan. Welcome to Taking Stock with Kelly McMillan. I'm your host, and for the next hour, we'll be here to talk about anything related to firearms. If you're into hunting, shooting, plinking, self-defense, we'll cover it on this show. Today, I'm really excited to bring on our first guest. Uh, Bob Beck has been a friend of mine for a long time. He's a, a very notable personality in the television world in uh, shooting sports. And he's going to share with us, you know, some of the things that he's been doing to stay busy. And I'd like to welcome him to our show now. Welcome, Bob. Thanks for having me, Kelly. Glad to have you here. Now, I'm going to be honest with our listeners. Uh, this being my first show and you being an old hat at television, I'm going to expect you to carry this segment of the show for me, would you? <laughs> oh, man. We're setting up for failure. <laughs> no, we're going to do well. Um, to start off with, why don't we talk a little bit about you, um, how you got into uh, the firearms industry, uh, what your history was prior to actually starting your television show. Whew. Long story. We'll try to keep it short. And obviously you uh, probably know it uh, better than most. Um, you know, it really started simply for me as just the passion for hunting, right? Um, a lot of guys ask, a lot of different questions throughout a year about the you know the rifles that we make and you know the other things that we do and really all of that can be boiled down to it all started for the passion of hunting and way before the days of doing television shows and the rifles and all the other good stuff it really come down to that I was doing uh, my fair share of hunts and traveling and some of the hunts were maybe out of the country or maybe maybe best off just to say they're bucket list hunts that we were doing. And, um, you know, there were so many times that I could sit around the campfire or share a story with a fellow hunter and see a common theme in that story of, of how the tale was told that, you know, I've seen this really big buck or this really big bull elk or whatever it is, and he just happened to be on the other side of that ridge or the other side of that valley or, you know, he was just across that draw or something like that. And, you know, there's a lot of campfire stories told about, well, he was just too far away. I couldn't connect. And um, that just drove the passion to be able to become more proficient uh, at the shooting part of our hunting game, right? It's not like we... We sacrificed any bit of the hunt more as we were just trying to figure out a way to become more proficient at the shooting portion 
so that we could extend our effective range, ultimately finding more success in our hunts. And really, Kelly, it just stemmed from there, right? It was hours and days and months and years of practice and trying to find out what would work and what wouldn't work and taking this factory you know, rifle and trying to do this or that and this optic and trying to do this or that and a massive amount of trial and error went into trying to figure out what worked and ultimately that particular road is what led me to ultimately meeting you. Well, that's and exciting. That rest has been history. I guess this begs the question, how did you get into hunting to begin with? You know, it's kind of an interesting dynamic. For the most part, my, my dad is much more of a fisherman than a, than a hunter, but I remember when I became a freshman in high school, and that's about the age here in Oregon where most kids are taking their hunter safety course and probably planning their first hunt with their dad and you would notice in the fall when you start school that, you know, oh, so-and-so is not here for the week, and oh, well, where are they? Oh, well, they're hunting. You know, you start hearing that over and over, and that really piqued my interest. Like, well, you know, gosh, I want to go hunting. And uh, so I ultimately, when I was a freshman in high school, started to try to kind of line up with this buddy or that buddy or, oh, I could go with so-and-so, and I kind of just tried to fit myself in wherever I could and I worked a part-time job after school, and I saved enough money to buy my gun. It was a .30-06. I still remember it. I think everybody remembers their first gun almost as well as they remember their first woman. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, the reason that I ask that question is because I personally know that you hunt with your kids, and, and that's something that I'm really passionate about. In order to, to further the shooting sports, we need to ver- uh, focus on getting young people involved in the shooting sports in what, whatever way they, they choose, whether it be hunting or competitive shooting or, or just shooting for fun. And um, doing that, uh, I know because you hunt with your kids, that's what we can do personally, uh, each and every one of us, to make sure that this industry continues for generations to come. Absolutely. It's... Uh it's a struggle that I find myself in every fall trying to balance my, my kids hunts into my filming schedule. And, and to be quite honest with you, Kelly, I'm sure you, you know, can understand this. Is I've, I've had that barrier, uh, in front of me where my kids want to go hunting, but they're like, dad, you know, can we go without the camera? And, uh, that's been a really tough, situation because there's only so much time in a hunting season and my job requires me to film hunts. So I've had to kind of nurture them through that part and try to show them how documenting a hunt can be positive and they can, you know, they can engage in that and possibly have those memories for a lifetime because it's, it's documented via video footage. Um, and so I've been able to kind of circle around and keep them excited about it. And it's been also interesting to see how their school schedule, you know, you've got some kids going from high school to college and then you kind of lose them for a little bit and then maybe they get older and then you get them back. And now I've just got my youngest, uh, son, Austin, he, he's just now, um, you know, he's in the eighth grade and, and he passes hunter safety. And so I've been trying to get that kid out every chance I can and just keep him away from video games and all those things, you know, so yeah, it's, it's extremely important to keep this whole thing alive, that we keep them involved. Hey, Bob, I, uh, this is Zev speaking, and I uh, had noticed on some of your videos that you, your wife is involved with you as a co-host. Uh, when you two got together, was she already a hunter, or did she adopt her passion? 
So she was not a hunter, but she had been around uh, firearms, um, mainly, you know, probably twenty two plinking and shooting clays with shotguns, right? Just kind of more that recreational, oh, hey, I've went and shot some guns. It wasn't until uh, she started to understand the dynamic of how passionate I was about hunting that um, Chris is a very, very strong-willed woman, and she really just came to me and said, you know, what I don't want to do is I don't want to get left behind and and not share in these life's moments. So how can I get involved? And and I got to tell a little story here, guys, so I hope I've got the time. But the funniest thing ever was when she said that to me, it was in the spring, and we were gearing up for spring bear hunts. And I remember it vividly still that I'm like, absolutely, babe. Let, you know, let's get you a tag, and let's go bear hunting, and let's go have some fun. And And she had not really engaged in shooting any of the long range setups that I had at the time. And I, I set her up on a rock and, and Kelly knows that part of our practice regimen is we do a lot of what we call just rock shooting. Well, I set her up on a rock that was about 800 yards away <laughs> and, uh, her not knowing the difference. I think she just got behind the rifle thing. Okay. Well, I'm just going to, you know, shoot this rock over here and He's already done the work, so I just need to hold the rifle on the rock, and I'm going to hit it. And so the gun goes off, and sure enough, she hits the rock. And the the ironic thing was she was instantly successful because women are able to identify with an exact pinpoint process on how to make these shots, leaving out a lot of the emotion that men have. And, and when she got off the rifle after hitting the rock, I could look at her, and she really just figured, oh, well, that must be normal. And all, all the while inside, for me, I'm giggling, going, she has no clue she just shot 800 yards like it was nothing. That's so a great story. Very, very funny. <laughs> you know, that's funny. And I've hunted with you and Chris, and, and I saw her after a hunt one time pretty upset because you made her shoot a 165-inch uh, mule deer. And she wasn't satisfied with that, but you told her, well, we got to get something for the camera. So, yeah, she, she developed a passion for hunting. She really enjoys it, and, and it's, it's fun to be around her when we're in hunting camp. Uh, now that oh, yeah. we've got a little bit about you, let's talk about Extreme Outer Limits. Uh, I remember our, one of our first conversations when you asked me if I wanted to sponsor you, and I said, no, I, I don't really believe in long-range hunting, and and we sat and talked for about an hour, and when I walked away from that, I had a totally different idea of what long-range hunting was. And, and can you explain your philosophy about that and why I changed my mind about working with Extreme Outer Limits Television? Sure, I'll do my best. Um, I think that identifying that it all stems around the passion of hunting, one has to really open up their mind and, and wrap their brain around the fact that we're not stunt shooting, right? We're not picking live living targets to stunt shoot on and hoping that it works out. More so what our entire motivation has always been was that these products that we either manufacture or we've aligned ourselves with are a winning combination to just be able to extend our effective range for the success of the hunt. It's not about patting ourselves on the back and going, woohoo, we just made some ridiculous shot and didn't wound an animal. More as it's a regimented lifestyle that we're applying so that 
we can just extend that effective range to become successful in the hunt. For those who are not familiar with Extreme Outer Limits Television, tell us um, what channel it's on, what times, and explain a little bit about the misconception. Uh, it's not necessarily exclusively a long-range hunting show. It's a serious hunting show for people who really enjoy the hunt. Isn't that correct? Yeah, yeah. You, you nailed it on the head, right? So we're, we're running on Sportsman's Channel three times a week as well as we run on wild tv up in canada and europe uh four times a week and and you you hit it right and i can hardly say it any better right it's what we've identified ourselves with is being a serious western-based hunting show you know you watch a lot of hunting programs on the outdoor networks and you'll see a lot of similarities a lot of redundancy in the fact that the majority of the outdoor television world is based around archery and whitetails and and that is fine and, and great uh, because probably the majority of the population of the U.S. can identify with that. However, there was a void as far as from the Colorado, Colorado Rockies to the West, whereas there's a lack of Western content or, like you said, you know, serious Western hunting. So what we have identified with is going back to the fact that We've aligned ourselves or manufactured the products to extend our effective range, but by no means are we ever going to back away from an animal, make a longer shot, more as we're trying to find the most mature animal that we can possibly find in any given hunt. As a matter of fact, I joke a little bit. I call us five-day warriors. Uh, And the reason for the five days is because we have to film 26 episodes. So when I plan out my season, I don't rarely get to spend more than five days on any location. And so what we've got to do in that five days is find the most mature animal that will represent that species and location in a five-day time frame. And if that shot comes at 50 yards or at 500 yards, we're going to be prepared for it. That's awesome. Uh, You've mentioned several times the equipment that you use allowing you to do what you do. It's not just equipment. You've got to spend a lot of time behind the gun. I know you do. Um, trigger time, there's no substitute for it. You, a rifle is only as good as the guy who's pulling the trigger. But why don't you uh, spend just a minute or two and, and tell us who you've aligned yourself with and, and why you've chosen those products. Yeah, so case in point, right, our relationship, um, you know, anybody that's in the game or, or that's getting into the game sooner or later is going to come across the McMillan stock, right? You, you, you've been regarded as the finest fiberglass stocks in, in the market for over you know 40 years now. So when I look at this, I look at it almost similar to if you were building your home. It's all got to start from the foundation. So when we look at an MOA rifle and what parts that are going to go into an MOA rifle and what we're going to be able to put our name behind, we know that we've got to align ourselves with some very key partners. So that foundation starts with a McMillan stock of the style that we're using for that model. Uh, we do make uh, our own MOA action equipment parts. Um, and then depending on the, the trigger uh, for that model, we're either using a Timney or a Jewel. And then exclusively, same as the McMillan stock, we're using benchmark barrels. And uh, we've got some really cool stuff going with those guys with the cut and the cryo and all that kind of stuff. So same as we've got some of our models with fiberglass McMillans or edge tech McMillans. So, yeah, we've got a, a pretty regimented system there. 
Well, uh, you left out one component that I know that, that you really believe in. Uh, I as well do, too. Um, optics. People think about optics as kind of a, a, a secondary to the rifle, but I don't think that's the case. I remember when we were filming um, my elk hunt here in Arizona, we had $60,000 worth of optics, including your camera, to uh, support one rifle on the hunt. So uh, optics are really important. You know, what's your th thought on that? Yeah, you, you, yeah, pretty crazy that a, a, a team of guys could tote around so much money in optics. But, yeah, you, you got it there, right? So for our optic choice, you know, we've had a lot of offerings over the year, and we, we've stayed with Night Force uh, through thick and thin and through growing pains for everybody and, and keeping this extreme out-of-limits machine moving. Um, they, they deeply root the quality of their product, and I'm completely in a line with it. So I won't try to bore everybody with it, but in the optics world, there's different ways to manufacture optics. And when you get to the erector assembly of an optic, what I don't like to see is very many synthetic parts. And Night Forces, their, uh, what would you call it, uh, kind of their motto or, or, or their vision has been that if it's good enough for the military, it will be good enough for the civilians. And so with that said, their, their tube construction and their erector assembly and how that transfers to the turret makes an absolute repeatable optic. And if you're going to be shooting long range or extended range and you're going to be turning turrets, it's extremely critical that you get exact value for every click in that scope. And almost more important, it's, it's super critical that the scope will return to zero every single time because from going back to zero, if it's hung up at any portion or any plus percentage or negative percentage of an MOA and a click, then it'll start your mathematical equation for your next shot and it'll just trend off. So we definitely have stuck with Night Force uh, as our optic of choice. And, and furthermore, we've, uh, we've stayed with, with Burger Bullets, too. That's been a staple from day one. Uh, quite honestly, Burger Bullets was the first sponsor Extreme Outer Limits ever had. And the reason that we've stayed with them from the product side of it, aside from the, the business relationship that we have, is the bullet dynamic is, is one that you really got to wrap your head around because no matter how much you have invested into your time and equipment or practice, you've got to understand that the bullet is the one that is doing the heavy lifting. It's, it's the one actually doing the job. And a way a, bullet, uh, a burger bullet is constructed is it's constructed in which that under low velocities, it will still expand at an acceptable rate to terminally kill an animal. And there's other bullet offerings out there that will kill extremely well within a certain range bracket, but not kill in all of the range brackets, say from 100 to 1,000 yards. So Burgers definitely had a design that we followed through uh, with them and We've actually built onto that now, and we have a license with them, and we're collaborating and designing bullets, and, and we're, we're gravitating towards an ammunition line as well with them. We're going to take a short break right now, Bob, but when we come back, I'd like for you to stick around and, and talk a little bit more about your partnerships with these companies and, and some of the other things that you're involved with. 
I want to thank everybody for listening. This is Taking Stock with Kelly McMillan. We'll be right back. Looking for exciting video content live and on demand? Visit www.voiceamerica.tv for exclusive content you just can't find anywhere else. That's voiceamerica.tv. Tune in now. For over 40 years, McMillan USA has been at the leading edge of the gun stock industry. The company was born out of the desire to improve and perfect form, function, and precision with every one of their premium fiberglass stocks. From tactical to hunting to competitive shooting, McMillan stocks are designed to dominate. Their signature three-way adjustable butt plates, adjustable cheek pieces, rail mounts, and adapters provide a versatile platform built on performance. Over 65 custom finishes are available, ranging from solid colors to camouflage. Check out the Macmillan website for hundreds of stocks available for immediate delivery. And for those wanting something more specialized, call the knowledgeable and friendly staff at Macmillan for a complete list of options at 877-365-6148 or visit MacmillanUSA.com. Again, that's 877-365-6148 or visit MacmillanUSA.com. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. You are listening to Taking Stock with Kelly McMillan. Now back to the show. Welcome back. We're still here with Bob Beck. Uh, Bob, you know, we've talked a little bit about you personally, your television show. There's a, a number of other facets to Bob Beck that I would like my listeners to know about. You know, when we first started building the rifles for your show and sponsoring you, you were happy with the quality and the and the and um, everything that you got out of them. And then when I sold the rifle company, there wasn't that commitment uh, to extreme outer limits by the new owners. And, and you decided that in order to be able to perform with the same type of quality equipment you had before, there were only a couple of options available to you. Let's talk about what you decided in order to be able to maintain that highly accurate rifle system in order to be able to reach out to those longer ranges. So I think that you're correct, right? The the new owner of McMillan Farms wasn't of the same interest level in what you and I had worked so hard to build on. And the notion that I was going to leave the relationship that I built with you to just go court sponsor dollars from someone else, uh, that wasn't very appealing, right? I felt like I'd been given an opportunity and acquired an immense amount of education through you and the McMillan family that I thought, you know, the best way to go about this is going to probably in the long run figure out how to skin this cat on my own and really be able to tie in the, the customer connection 
that we're working so hard to build. Um, you know, this long range gig is kind of an, you know, it's getting more mature, but there's still so many facets of it that are unwritten. It's not like you can walk up to the rack and get a book and read it and you're instantly a long range shooter. Um, partly because there's so much learning, uh, involved in it still that it's just, it's kind of learn as you go. And so we have some designs in mind, and a lot of this leans back to the Burger Bullet uh, partnership. You know, the technology is driving forward so fast in long range to continue to get bullets that are going to perform better and better at extended ranges. Well, what happens there is these bullets get heavier and they get longer so that we can drive the ballistic coefficient numbers up. Um, when we are referring to ballistic coefficient, we're talking about the bullet's efficiency, uh, its ability to slip through the air or basically buck atmospheric conditions. Well, by doing that, making longer and heavier bullets in the Magnum cartridges, we needed to make some changes in the receivers of these rifles because the idea that they were going to function in factory uh, SAMI-spec or SAMI-compliant receivers was just not really feasible in the direction that we're going. So we kind of knew all of that going into it, and, and that was all the more supported that we needed to birth MOA rifles. So you decided to make your own rifles. That, that sounds like a pretty daunting task. Um, I, for one, was extremely surprised when you made the decision basically January 1 and by November of the same year, you actually had rifles to offer. So not only are you talented um, from a, a shooting standpoint, you're photogenic, you have a great television show with, with huge numbers, um, you, you're pretty sharp because you were man, you managed to start a business and it's successful now and did it in a very short period of time. One of the things that I really enjoy about our relationship is that we share a lot of the same ideas about how to get and keep customers involved with you and your product. And I think you said it best by saying you want the full circle experience, is that what you called it, for the customers? Yeah. Uh, explain to our listeners what that is. Before I give you that, I do want to say, you know, I'm one guy, and and there has been some very key players in my life that have helped perpetuate the things that we've done. So I just want to say that. I don't want to take full credit. There's some other people in my life that have absolutely helped with the ability to get these businesses going in the right direction. Um now to the full circle. So what we realize is that we're offering a premium level product and we may not be for everybody, but we want to try to be for as many people as we can. And so we identified through the television show as the promotion and then getting into the rifles that there's always the next thing, right? Well, do you... You know, we get asked this common, well, do you offer this or do you know anybody for that? Or, you know, these similar questions get asked quite often. Well, what we realized is to best serve our customer, we needed to be accountable for as many pieces of the puzzle as we could. So we evolved it from the promotional business being extreme out of limits 
now to the firearms manufacturing company. And then we started Rugged Ridge Outdoor Gear, which builds the ultralight, crazy-moving bipod and some other accessories. And then, again, the ever-looming question is, where can I go on a hunt and use this stuff? That, lastly, we wrapped up that into the full circle by acquiring Star Valley Outfitters out of Western Wyoming. That's now a terrific can- outfit, too, because I, I will tell you, I hunted there. And, and I enjoyed myself, and I am definitely going back. Yeah, it's, it's been a great camp. You know, I, I really identify with the camp because there's moments where I get stressed out on, on the other side of the businesses, and I get to go to camp and remember why I'm doing it all, right? Right. So now you have the ability to show the people by your television show what it's like to go on these hunts. They can buy the equipment from you, not only the MOA rifles, but they, you have an online store that has uh, all your rugged um, ridge gear, plus any of the uh, other stuff like Burger and, and Night Force. And they've got a place that they can go and hunt. There's one step in between that we haven't talked about yet. And I think probably the most important thing that you have to offer, and if you remember our conversation when we first start, when I agreed to sponsor the television show, I said, I am going to hold you to the education part of it because you need to let these people know that you just can't buy one of these rifles and go out and do the things that you do without the education, without the hard work, without the trigger time. And so in an effort to do that, you've come up with another product that fits perfect. The Extreme School, yes. We have stayed true to the root of of that and the education is important and these rifles come with limitations. Um, The word ethics is thrown around a lot. Quite honestly, I'm not very fond of it because I have a different meaning for it than most people that kind of throw it back at me. But you're you're absolutely right. The Extreme School uh, is a two-day course that we put on. um, We have multiple locations now and we have multiple sets of dates throughout the spring and the summer that people can uh, set up to come and attend uh, an extreme shooting school. I'll give you a little bit of foundation for the one that's closest to me here in Oregon. Uh, we, we lease a really large 30,000-plus-acre uh, ranch that we've consumed oh, somewhere between five and 7,000 acres to set up for uh, dedicated targets. And we have targetry from 400 to 2,000 yards, uh, all in steel. And then we have a 100-yard range. We set up a tent out there, and we do a half-day classroom on the first day. And then followed after lunch, we'll do a 100-yard testing and training. And what we're trying to achieve there is consistency. Uh, We want to be able to teach proper shooting form and technique to consistently play shots. And then uh, day two, we'll start off with about an hour of Q&A, and then we'll move on to the big range, and uh, we do a little shirt giveaway and all that kind of good stuff. You know, I shot a mile with the Extreme Outer Limits crew, that kind of thing. Um, It's a really good tool, and quite honestly, a a major portion of the range itself is for novelty. Uh, It's nothing that we're going to ever go out and suggest that, guys. 
go and shoot a game that far. Um, but I do think it has value because you, you hear the, you know, aim small, miss small. Um, it kind of goes back to even, say, an archer. If an archer shoots 100 yards all the time for practice, when he gets that 40-yard shot, it seems much easier. So I think the same principle applies with the rifles. You know, if you're playing consistently at 1,000 yards or even beyond, that when you get um, an opportunity at that four, five, or 600-yard shot, they come a lot easier. Well, you know, we're quickly running out of time, Bob, and it seems like we've just barely been able to scratch the surface. I'm going to uh, ask you if you'll promise me you'll come back at some time in the future and we can get a little more into uh, in-depth on, on some of this stuff. I want to tell you, I've really had a good time with you here. Uh, just like everything else that we do together, it's always a blast. Uh, thanks for being on the show, and thanks for uh, letting my listeners get to know Bob Beck a little bit better. I appreciate you guys having me. I'll do it anytime you you want, buddy. I'm here for you. And if you guys liked the technical part of Bob's uh, presentation, you'll be excited to stay tuned to this next segment. We've got Brian Litz coming on, and if you like ballistics and long range and uh, bullets and talk about that stuff, you're going to want to stick around to hear him. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. For over 40 years, Macmillan USA has been at the leading edge of the gun stock industry. The company was born out of the desire to improve and perfect form, function, and precision with every one of their premium fiberglass stocks. From tactical to hunting to competitive shooting, Macmillan stocks are designed to dominate. Their signature three-way adjustable butt plates, adjustable cheek pieces, rail mounts, and adapters provide a versatile platform built on performance. Over 65 custom finishes are available, ranging from solid colors to camouflage. Check out the Macmillan website for hundreds of stocks available for immediate delivery. And for those wanting something more specialized, call the knowledgeable and friendly staff at Macmillan for a complete list of options at 877-365-6148 or visit MacmillanUSA.com. Again, that's 877-365-6148 or visit MacmillanUSA.com. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? The opening kickoff is a beauty. It's a fly ball deep right field. That goes O'Neal. He's at the shot. Got it. With 2.8 seconds left to left. I don't care where they put him. This one is out of here. From high school to the pros, we we cover everything. Let your voice be heard. Voice America Sports. You are listening to Taking Stock with Kelly McMillan. Now back to the show. Welcome back, everyone. I'd like to take this time now to um, introduce uh, our next guest. 
He's probably the foremost ballistician in the firearms industry today. His reputation is impeccable. Uh, very intelligent guy, but all of that stems from a love and a passion for shooting. Uh, I'd like to introduce Brian Litz. Brian, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks. Glad to be here. Um, you know, you, you own B- Applied Ballistics. Let's talk a little bit about what that is. Let the listeners understand what Applied Ballistics does. Sure. So Applied Ballistics is uh, basically an um, R&D company that at, at the root of it. Um, there, we do put out, you know, products as a result of our research and development. Um, primarily, a lot of people are familiar with our books. Um, we've got five books now that cover you know, the fundamental basics of ballistics all the way up through the latest research that we're doing at the lab on specific subjects like barrel testing, um, you know, obviously bullet testing. One of the things that we have uh, came on the map doing was testing uh, ballistic coefficients of bullets. So, you know, back in the in the bad old days, you know, uh, bullet manufacturers were advertising ballistic coefficients and performance for their products that really had no verification involved. There was no um, third party to test and verify what uh, they were putting out. So there was a lot of inflation going on in there um, to get sales, obviously. And so one of the first things that we did with Applied Ballistics, the first challenge that we took on was the systematic uh, measurement of uh, ballistic coefficients for bullets of all brands using a common method so that we could have accurate performance data for these bullets. And a lot of what we do now really has stemmed out of that. So the books are one of our main um, outputs from the lab. And uh, we have developed a ballistic solver uh, as well that is integrated into several you know, electronic devices, smartphone apps, the Kestrel, and most recently the SIG Kilo rangefinder. Well, that's interesting. You mentioned the Kestrel. That's one of the things that everybody has to contend with when you get into ranges that well, even start at 100 yards, if you're a bench rest shooter, you have to contend with the wind because it's going to move the bullet. Um, having your solver in the Kestrel, which is an, uh, something that, that I highly recommend everybody have, um, just kills two birds with one stone. You get to take two pieces of equipment, put it into one, and, and have the same effect as, as having two separate ones, which anytime you're out in the field, that makes hunting or even just shooting a much easier task. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Getting everything wrapped up into a convenient device. Um, when you're in the field, whether you're hunting or shooting competitions, you know you don't want to become a computer programmer on the fly when you're trying to, you know, get a fire solution for a long-range shot. And the Kestrel really simplifies things by taking care of the atmospherics part of it. Um, the, you know, the accurate measurement of uh, atmospheric conditions. It's basically a live feed from those sensors directly into your fire solution. So you don't have to enter the temperature manually, then enter the barometric pressure, maybe adjust that for altitude. And then you're, you know, all of that long, tedious stuff is, it happens literally in a closed loop with the sensors on the Kestrel. And so with your gun profile preloaded in the device, you're getting like a live streaming up to the second fire solution based on the prevailing conditions. So whenever it is time to take your shot, you simply look at the Kestrel to see what the solution is for that range, and you apply it and take the shot. So it takes a lot of the guesswork out 
so that when you're in the field, you can focus on what you're shooting at and not doing the math. That's interesting. One of the things that I know from my experience in the firearms industry is that there are a lot of people in this industry that have been very successful that don't have a huge amount of education. I, for one, uh, am not a college graduate. There just wasn't any courses out there that taught me how to manufacture fiberglass gun stocks, though I will say had I had a degree in business, I would have been a little bit farther along the line uh, when some of those decisions that had to be made uh, financially uh, needed to be made rather than having to have learned it by trial and error. But um, I'm, I'm curious, what, what's your educational background? Um, I have an uh, engineering degree, uh, aerospace engineering from Penn State, um, and I did uh, some time, I was in the Pennsylvania Army National Guard and my job there was machinist. So I got some hands-on training, you know, running some uh, mills and lathes, not really to a high level of proficiency, but, um, you know, I had some the exposure to the real world cutting metal versus just the, you know, theoretical engineering calculations of it. Um, they combined to really give me some good insight about uh, some, you know, things that happen with engineering. Um, after Penn State, my first job was with the Air Force as a civilian contractor, and what I did for them was uh, modeling and simulation of air-to-air weapons. So, you know, when we talk about modeling bullets, you know, doing simulations of bullets, it's really a very dumbed-down version of what I was doing in the Air Force, which was modeling and simulation for these, you know, complex air-to-air missiles with propulsion and guidance and control and seeker heads. You know, so in a way, modeling the flight of bullets is much easier. But the thing is, that's much harder about it is that bullets are not guided. You know, your your model has to be pretty perfect in order to hit a target at long range when the only correction you can ever apply to it is your initial windage and elevation. Hey, Brian Zev here. Uh, it's great to have you on. And I, I've always had a question, and you're probably the perfect guy to ask. Um, reading it, uh, about some of the ballast... Uh, ballistic uh, uh, solutions, something that comes into play is the angle of attack of the actual projectile. So where we have three degrees of freedom being thrust in right, left, and up, down, now there's a what they're calling a fourth degree of freedom, which uh, tells you a little bit more about what the wind does to the bullet if it's canted a certain way in the angle of attack. Can you give me a little bit of, of knowledge about that? Yeah, so... Um Conventional ballistics programs, um, so we have to start with degrees of freedom. Okay, degree of freedom is any, um, any direction that movement can take place. So with a three degree of freedom simulation, which is what you know, most ballistic solvers are, they're giving you um, up, down, left, right, back and forth, basically, the X, Y, and Z translation of a point through space. And... With a three, you need at least three degrees of freedom to model um, a ballistic trajectory. Now, whenever you start talking about more than three degrees of freedom, you know, four, five, six degrees of freedom, you're starting to account for the angles uh, that the bullet is flying with now. So pitch, yaw, and roll are the three other angles. Um, so six degrees of freedom is the most that you can have that would describe the full motion of the bullet. I mean, every rotation, every pitch and yaw movement that the bullet makes can be described with six degrees of freedom. 
Now, the thing is, to get an accurate trajectory, you don't necessarily need all six degrees of freedom because the angles that the bullet flies with tends to be very small. So that's why most ballistic solvers are point mass or three degrees of freedom. Now that we've managed to prove to all of our listeners you're just a nerd, <laughs> let's, let's prove to them that you're not. You know, there are a couple of things that, that you've done that I'm just in awe of. One of them is shooting for the USA team uh, on their FTR F-Class team. Uh, talk about that, how you got to do that, why you got involved in F-Class, and, and, and what you think about the sport. Yeah, so shooting has always obviously been a, a passion for me, and my pursuit of engineering and you know learning about it really stems from just a fundamental desire to hit targets at long range on the first shot. You know that idea of doing that has been with me from a very young age, and everything that I've done in my professional career and my competition life has stemmed from that. And so at that age, you know, I'm still in high school whenever I learned in Pennsylvania that the Williamsport Thousand Yard Bench Rest Club was, you know, two hours away. So, you know, I started going there um, to see their competitions and they were holding bench rest matches. So that was the first discipline that I competed in for a few years while I was in high school was Thousand Yard Bench Rest. You know, learned the ropes, learned about reloading and all that kind of stuff. Um, eventually, I met the guys that were shooting prone there. Now, prone is a different discipline from bench rest where you lay on the ground and it's a prone unsupported with a sling. And, you know, that's sort of the kind of NRA bullseye style target shooting that is done at Camp Perry. There's, you know, international governing body for it. So it's a pretty well-organized traditional type of long-range target shooting. And that's where I spent the majority of my uh, competition career. I've been with the U.S. Palma team for two world championship cycles. They're on a four-year cycle, and I was on two of those teams. Um, It's only been most recently that I've transitioned out of um, prone shooting, traditional sling shooting, after the 2015 world championships, and I've been focused a lot more in um, F-class shooting. But it's the same style of shooting. You know, it's the same ranges, a lot of the same people, um, the difference with F-Class is that you're using a bipod and a rear bag or a front rest in a rear bag. You know, the targets are smaller, and you're using a scope versus aperture sights, which I was accustomed to in, you know, in prone shooting. I mentioned two things. That's the first one. The second one is ELR. Uh, that's become kind of a, a buzzword in the industry now. Uh, stands for extreme long range. And last summer... Uh, I was at Raton, New Mexico with you and your teammates, and uh, you competed in the King of the Two-Mile competition. Uh, tell us about that. Yeah, ELR is the the funnest thing that I have ever done, any kind of rifle competition. And what's going on with that is uh, we are shooting, you know, way beyond 1,000 yards. You know, everything that I've shot in my competitive shooting career has been up to 1,000 yards you know, and at a thousand yards, there's you can still have a really good competition, but all of the ballistic variables are pretty well solved at that distance, and it's just a matter of guessing the wind. Now, I told you about my drive since I was young to hit targets at you know small targets at far ranges on the first shot, and having the predictability to do that. And ELR is the venue that's really stressing and pushing the limits of that exact capability right now. So, in ELR shooting, we're shooting at targets. 
the closest target in the King of Two Miles match was 1,450 yards. That's where we started. And we went out to over 3,000 yards on several targets. So the ability to hit targets at those distances with the first shots, okay, you get three or five shots at those targets, it requires a very accurate means of predicting your trajectory to put shots on those targets, you know. Uh, with the ELR style shooting that is done in the King of Two Miles format, we're not shooting at those targets repeatedly until we hit them and then, you know, calling that success. The objective is to hit the targets on the first shot. So you have to know what your fire solution is, having calculated it with the ballistics program, um, whenever you lay down and start shooting. And in that match, we had three team members shooting and we had first round hits on all the targets out through and including 2,400 yards. So when you're putting your first shot on a target at 2,400 yards, that's, that's an achievement that I, you know, I really enjoyed and we're looking to extend that even further. And Brian, this is Ev again. I, I really enjoyed that match. Uh, I was there as well. And watching your team work together, not only having the best ballistic solution, but that's where I met a very affable and well-connected fellow by the name of Paul Phillips, who was, I think, uh, your win coach uh, for some of the time. And, you know, that was just amazing to watch how you guys all work together using the data you had and then the, the actual real-time uh, win solution. So very, very, very cool. And I look forward to coming to the next one. Yeah, yeah, we're all looking forward to the next one. Um, you mentioned the the team aspect, and you know, part of what this event is doing, since it is so new and uncharted, is people are working out what it takes to be successful. You know, because everyone has different ideas about what they're going to show up and do to win this match. And um, one thing that our team recognized, you know, all three of us, uh, myself, Paul Phillips, and Mitch Fitzpatrick, are all members of the U.S. rifle team. And we recognize the value of a collective team effort um, in pretty much anything you're doing, but shooting especially. And we have a highly refined uh, degree of communication and just working together having shot on the U.S. team together, and whenever we get together to do any kind of shooting, we kind of fall into our comfortable groove of standard communications and protocols and practices, and whether we're shooting a 1,000-yard F-class match or we're shooting at a target we've never seen before at someplace over a mile, that we apply the same principles of teamwork, and what it results is a capability that's greater than any of us individuals have by ourselves. And I think that's one thing that we're demonstrating to the ELR community is that the value of teamwork. You know, I think a lot of the competitors are focused on equipment, you know, because equipment is a very challenging aspect of how, you know, how to hit targets at those distances. But I think a lot of the competitors get tunnel vision. It's like, well, if I have the right equipment, then I can win. Well, you need to get the equipment right, but the team, the teamwork aspect is going to carry you beyond what your equipment can necessarily do. One of the things I was excited about the King of the Two Mile is that none of the teams that qualified for the final day were able to hit the target at two miles. And I wasn't happy that nobody hit it, but I was happy that there was something to shoot for, a reason for everybody to go back and to continue to find 
what it is that they need to know in order to be able to do that. And I'm sure that at the point where most people are, are have learned and have the ballistic solutions and can hit that two-mile target, there might be a king of the three-mile. I don't know. That might be out of, out of the question of possibility. But um, I was glad that at least in last year's match, it gave everyone a reason to go home, start studying, and get better at what they do. Yeah, I agree. That match is really um, well thought out in its course of fire. Uh, the objective being to explore the limits and push the boundaries and develop um, products and approaches and skill sets that are required to have success at those ranges because those things are not well defined at this time. And through this course of fire and through this competition, um, that's how these things are being developed and brought about. And you're right, no one hit the two-mile target. And I also think that's a, it's, it goes with the spirit of the match. You know, it gives you something to reach for. And I agree, as soon as, as, soon as we're all hitting that two-mile target with any, any kind of regularity, the match is going to have to get pushed out so that we continue to reach. Hey, Brian, Zev again. Uh, we're running out of time, but we want to hear a bit about your uh, new product, the integration of the AB Solver into the SIG Kilo 2400 ABS rangefinder. Uh, we heard Cabela's has some interest in it. We'd like to hear more from you. Yeah, SIG Sauer has done an amazing job with their um, electro-optics development. They have a number of rangefinders and scopes and things. Um, this latest thing is a really amazing piece of gear. It's it's very small, handheld laser rangefinder, um, but it is it has demonstrated through numerous early reviews and feedback that we're getting the ability to range targets past 2,000 yards, and that kind of performance in a handheld unit for the you know $1,500. Just as a rangefinder, it is amazing what the capability is. Now, where our involvement is, is the ballistic solver that's built into that rangefinder. So the same, the same applied ballistic solver that's built into the Kestrels and it's in our you know, software and other apps, that common core solver is in that rangefinder. And so whenever you're ranging a target, you're getting obviously the distance to the target, and then it's giving you an elevation and windage correction to be able to hit that target. That's really exciting, Brian. I'm really happy for you. It, it's nice to hear people that have a passion for this industry that, that work really hard and, and are having some success. I'm, I'm really sorry we're out of time because I'm really enjoying our conversation, but I want to thank you very much for being with us, and I'd love to invite you back on another time to spend some more time with you, maybe talk a little bit more about um, what we're doing to try to broaden the ELR reach. I know there's a Facebook page out there that's for people that are specifically interested in, in ELR, so I, I um, recommend any of our listeners that are on Facebook to uh, check that out. Uh, I want to remind everybody listening that uh, you're listening to Taking Stock with Kelly McMillan. Uh, next week, we're going to have a really exciting show. Not sure if anybody else has ever done this, but we're going to broadcast live from the 2017 SHOT Show in Las Vegas. And that's going to be an extremely exciting show. Brian, thanks for being with us. Yeah, thank you. I look forward to coming back on later. Thank you. Appreciate it. And uh, now it's time to wrap up the first, very first, Taking Stock with Kelly McMillan. 
Zev, thanks for being here with me. Uh, your moral support has been uh, appreciated. Thanks. My pleasure, my pleasure, and looking forward to seeing some of the ELR-based stocks that you've been noodling with since that last competition. Um, I know they've been emerging, and we look forward to seeing more of them. Well, we're actually going to debut the ELR Beast at the SHOT Show, so any of you out there listening that are going to be at the SHOT Show, come by the booth, and we'll show you what we've been working on. Okay, take them out with some music. <laughs> Thank you for tuning in to Taking Stock with Kelly McMillan. Be sure to come back for more next Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time at 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. The weekend is here. Enjoy yourself. We'll talk again next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.